Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Triple Play Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Wyatt Street, joined by my amazing co-host. Guys, introduce yourselves. Uh, Josh, the Say Hey Kid Strickland. Uh, Palmer, Bradley, Kendall. (laughs) What? I don't know. Josh threw me off like always, so I panicked. <laughs> I told you. I know. I know we haven't had a had a podcast in like two weeks, which is my fault, by the way. Sorry, everybody. But I told you on the last one, I'm going to do a random nickname now, just for 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 the rest of the time. The say hey, kid. All right, jo- Willie Mays. It's good baby. to know Josh is the most humble. Pull it's good to know Willie Josh Mays is the most actually. humble guy on the on the podcast. <laughs> I almost went with um, uh, what was it? Mr. Smile, Francisco oh, Lindor. Oh, yeah. Oh. Why? I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can that's edit a, this or not. But I'd like to. I'd like to retry my initial intro. I'd like to say, "Hello, everyone. This is Bradley Swag Daddy Kendall." There you go. <laughs> Swag Daddy. Yes, that's sir. <laughs> just, just it. keep it. Keep it organic. Just yeah, weird. Don't even edit it. <laughs> yeah. No, I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> no, this is this is better, honestly. <laughs> oh man. But yes, thank you guys for tuning in. We've got a, a great show in store, as Josh mentioned. We, we didn't come to you last week. Uh, we are adults with lives, and things happened. But uh, we're back this week because literally today, final day of the MLB regular season, playoffs start uh, in a couple of days, and we're going to get into all of that. This is our big postseason preview. But before we do, we got a couple things to discuss. So real quick, let's start off with that stuff. Uh, and most notably, guys, we made it. A whole a whole 60-game season that was a roller coaster from start to finish, but we made it to the end. We outlasted COVID for now, knock on wood. So we got playoffs to play. And uh, before we play that, we got to talk about a couple of guys who won't play again. Uh, Alex Gordon and Hunter Pence, notable guys who are hanging up their spikes and have played their last MLB games. Uh, so... Uh, great careers from the both of them. Uh, it's going to be weird not seeing them on a baseball diamond next year, I would say. Um, but your thoughts on these guys uh, calling it quits? Let's start with you, Josh. Uh, well, I don't really have much to say about Alex Gordon, uh, to be honest. I, I, I never really pay attention to Alex Gordon, uh, mostly because the Kansas City Royals I do not pay attention to, other than that World Series year. Hunter Pence, on the other hand, Hunter Pence is easily one of my favorite players just because of the oddities of everything he does. Just... Every single thing he does is just so strange, and I love it. Uh, these are two very Hall of Very Good guys. I don't think either of them are probably going to get in the Hall of Fame, to be honest. They're just very good. So, uh, But, you know, both of them have pretty good careers, so, you know, hats off to them. Why? I mean, it, it sounded like when you phrased it like that, it sounded like both these guys just happened to drop dead on the spot, the way you said they'll never play again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of. I realize that now, uh, in hindsight, and uh, that is my bad. I, I take absolute credit for that. I'm sorry to both Alex Gordon and Gordon. Gordon Rip the career. He's still alive and very, very well. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gordon. I'm going to be honest. I never really thought he was this old until I, you know, saw that he had retired. I didn't realize he was 36. I think just because like he kind of burst into the scene a little bit later in his career. Um, you know, obviously he had a long stretch of time in Kansas City, and we really saw him come to come to form back uh, when they won that World Series. But uh, overall, you know, he really did all that he sought out to do as a ball player. Seven-time Gold Glove winner. I think he made like three All-Star games um, and also had a World Series ring. So in a, in a franchise like Kansas City where 
you know, really making the playoffs is, is kind of what you're hoping for. To have that kind of, you know, lustrous career, um, it says a lot about who he was. And, you know, I, for, I thought for about three or four years, he was one of the most consistent all-around five-tool players in all of baseball. So um, you could look back at him and say he was an all-around great talent that really uh, played up to his up to his strengths. And then uh, Hunter Pence, not only does he look so much like the guy from Home Alone, but he is the most genuine, <laughs> genuine baseball player when it comes to just doing his own thing and not caring about what other people say. I love the way you play the game. Uh, just out of control, but did it in the most controlled way he possibly could. So um, I'm going to miss seeing him for sure. It seems like he, you know, kind of just rode off in the sunset after he uh, left the Giants a couple years ago. But um, yeah, for a guy that probably early in his career didn't look like he would make it just because of how strange he was, um, he really turned into an all-around great talent and won a bunch of games in San Francisco. Yeah, it's you know neither of these guys are Hall of Famers, but they're both very good ball players who had solid careers. Um, Alex Gordon got overlooked a lot because he was on the small market Royals, who aside from Two years where they made it and lost, and then the next year made it and won the World Series. Um, the Royals haven't really been notable uh, while he was there, but you know Alex Gordon, a guy who played his whole career there, which you don't see much often in not just baseball, but in pro sports in general. Uh, so that's really cool to see. Hunter Pence, the quirkiness, as you guys touched on, he was a walking meme. Um so it, I'm going to miss seeing all of the, the fun things surrounding him, the antics, the memes, and everything. Just without even trying, Hunter Pence always managing to put a smile on people's faces. And uh, kind of a shame that these guys are calling it quits this year um, in a season like this where there's no fans around because these are two guys who deserve to send off. Uh, I would say, like, especially like Alex Gordon playing, you know, a, a longtime Royal, probably a Royals Hall of Famer at the very least, you know, for them um, is, you know, that's a guy who deserved a tip of the cap to to the Royals fans as he walked off the field to a standing ovation in his final game. And it's a shame that he didn't get that. And Hunter Pence, even with with the Giants, uh, World Series champ with them in 2014, you know, that's a guy who, who deserved the same thing, which it was still cool to see him. I don't know if you guys saw he was out there in the bay. <laughs> in like a boat um, in McCovey Cove to cheer on the Giants at the game today. They didn't win, but he was still there to support them. So, you know, still like a, a cool, quirky thing like that. So uh, going to miss seeing these guys uh, in the ballpark playing baseball for years to come for sure. Yeah, I, they were just really, really just, like you said, just really good players. They really did a lot for their franchises. Again, two two guys that really did all that they could have asked for and then some. And uh, I think for a while, you know, we kind of thought they were just going to be kind of one-hit wonders at times with, like, just a really good year here. But I know Hunter Pence, like, had, like, one down year, and then all of a sudden was good again, like, a couple years ago. Same with Gordon. He just kind of stuck around and kept doing his thing. So, yeah, but these guys, I think, were retiring probably at the best times for them. It would have been nice to see him come back, but um, kind of just right off, like like we said before, you know, it is a weird year, but probably a good time to do it in a shortened year. And the good thing is they get to end their careers on the note that they wanted to. I mean, Alan Gordon probably has – I mean, he has a career arc that a lot of people would take because he's going to be considered one of the best Royals of all time just because he's been with the team his entire career and he was really good for them. Uh, like I said, he's probably not Hall of Fame material, but he's definitely, like, Royals Hall of Fame. Like, they might retire his jersey. That Like, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. So, I mean, Hunter Pence, I don't know. He played for a lot of teams. I mean, he's mostly known for the Giants. Uh, but... Uh, I don't, I don't know if they'll retire his jersey or anything, but I, I, I want to reiterate, love Hunter Pence. It's hard not to. If there's anybody out there who doesn't like Hunter Pence, I'm not mad. I just want to talk. 
<laughs> Dude, he had all those signs that people would make of him just saying he did random stuff, and he actually, like, went through and did a couple of them, and, I mean, the dude was just hilarious. <laughs> like, he knew and fully accepted that he was a walking meme and just st- uh, steered right into it. Not that he really needed to try hard to steer into it, but, you know, he he embraced it. And, the you know, when you, when you talk about, like, the personalities in baseball that are important to, like, trying to grow the game – the marketing of Hunter Pence was a big thing for that. And we need, you know, the ta- like the people like that are the people like you need to focus on from a marketing standpoint because they're weird, they're quirky, and they're fun, and people love to see that. And that's why so many people liked Hunter Pence, not because he was a good ball player, even though, like, yeah, he was good. He was never great, but he was good. But people love him not for what he did on the field, but for everything else. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and guys that can really accept their roles and accept kind of who they are, those are the guys that fans fall in love with. If if Hunter Pence kind of would have like, you know, pulled one of those moves or Gordon did, where they kind of held out and or you know thought they were a lot better than they really were, uh, they just were humble dudes that really did their job and engaged the fan base as well. And for two fan bases that for the better half of this decade have been pretty dog pretty doggone good and uh, really good, um, I think they were easy fan favorites for sure. But let's move on now to some guys who are still playing. And more fan favorites, because let's talk about our award predictions. And we're fo- going to focus on the big two here, just Cy Young and MVP. Uh, and we'll start with the easy one. And, uh, uh, we'll start with Cy Young, and the easy one being the American League, because I think we're all going to be in unison here. Say it with me, guys. One, two, three. Bieber. Shane Bieber. Bieber. <laughs> yep. Like, I, I know you could technically make arguments for other guys, but, like, can you? Because Shane Bieber got the pitching triple crown. Yeah, I completely disagree with that assessment, Wyatt. There is no one else even in the same realm as Bieber on the American League side. I mean, he he's leading war, earned run average, wins. I mean, he he's leading pretty much every pitching category you can in the American League. So, I mean, it's hard. And we, we even said at the beginning of the year, he, his first outing, was 14 strikeouts or something like that. We said since the beginning of yeah. this weird season that he's the best pitcher in the American League, and he just kept going. He kept getting better and better throughout the whole season. So uh, this is no shocker at all. And let the record reflect, the Cy Young predictor got it right. <laughs> Shane Beaver Shane Beaver actually Finally. ended up winning it, and without the victory bonus too, which we love to see. Whoa! <laughs> I know, shocking. Without the victory That's bonus. amazing. We can finally quit looking at this stupid chart. I'm getting tired of pulling it up each week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, like, the only guys you could even try to fathom an argument for, aside from Bieber, is maybe uh, Giolito or Garrett Cole. But it's just, you look at the stats, it's not even close. Like I said, the man won the pitching triple crown. Which, yeah, I know isn't as special as the batting triple crown, but still pretty darn special considering it doesn't happen hardly ever. Um, and he's even, like, in MVP consideration, too. Like, there are people arguing arguing vehemently that he should be the MVP this year, um, which we can get into that discussion when we get to the MVP. But uh, still, like, that says something. You know, when, when you have people legitimately saying, oh, yeah, he's an MVP candidate— when pitchers don't often get that recognition and often get put down on the spot when they're brought up in MVP consideration, that says something. Uh, but the National League MVP race is a lot more open. It really comes down to three guys, Bauer, uh, Trevor Bauer, Hugh Darvish, and uh, Jacob DeGrom. So 
let's start with you on this one, Bradley. Which of those three are you picking, or do you have a wild card here? I'm going to go Bauer. You know, I had Darvish for the last few weeks. I actually talked to one of my good friends who happens to be a Reds fan and uh, really convinced me hard why Bauer deserved to actually win Cy Young versus uh, versus Darvish. And I'll be honest, it was really – it's still been hard to me even now before the show because you got two guys that are in the same division that have faced off against each other's ball clubs a couple times at least, uh, playing very similar schedules – and, you know, in a shortened year when numbers are very, very close, it's really kind of hard to distinguish between uh, a lot of these guys. And they had the exact same war. So <laughs> it was really kind of hard for me to kind of flip between these guys. I went with Bauer strictly because of two things, ERA and complete game shutouts. That, to me, I, the way that Trevor Bauer has kind of risen up in this in this staff, when, for the better half of this season, we've kind of seen Sonny Gray be the guy. Uh, at least for the first half of the year. Bauer not only has won the Twitter game, but has won the game on the field as well. Um, I think Darvish easily deserves comeback player of the year just for how he's bounced back uh, as a you know legitimate ace for the Cubs. Um, I wouldn't use the division winning to kind of to kind of judge that, but um, 100 strikeouts on the dot. Um, K per nine was 12.3. Uh, solid uh, difference between that and Darvish. Um, and I just thought he was the better pitcher. If you gave me one game, I, I'd take Trevor Bauer right now. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that, even though I really don't like inflating Wyatt's ego over there, especially since <laughs> there's a certain matchup we'll talk about later. But uh, Trevor Bauer, yeah, I'm, I got to go with him. You brought up the complete game, the complete game stat, and I actually thought like there was not a lot of complete games this year just because of the shortened season and stuff like that. Bauer does lead that category with two, but there's like three other guys with two complete games as well. But anyways, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you Darvish, he, he's got some bright spots there. Uh, I, but he, he just falls. He just, he just loses pretty much every category. If you put him straight up against Tra Trevor Bauer there. Uh, but you Darvish had a fantastic year. I mean, he led that Cy Young predictor for the longest time. Uh, it's just, uh, and he, he might still be winning it just because of the, uh, win factor, but, uh, that victory he, bonus, yeah, the victory bonus might be pushing him ahead right now, but I don't know how much voters look at the ESPN Cy Young predictor. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I got to go Trevor Bauer with this one. I, I want to have an argument, but it's hard to have an argument. My only other thing is Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom, he had another great year this year. It's just uh, it's just other guys had better years, which is not something you say often for Jacob DeGrom. Darvish actually did win the Cy Young predictor yeah. uh, in the NL and overall in baseball, which is really hard to believe, over Shane Bieber. Uh, wow. Again, that was – that was Over, the victory it's bonus. That, victory that is, bonus. That is it's, valid. It's, it's but Bauer was seventh on the list, which is kind of <laughs> hard to believe with a one seven three ERA. I don't know how that really adds up. He finished behind Kenley Kenley Jansen. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's let's but, back it up. <laughs> yeah. In. All right. Hold on. Hold on. A gosh darn second here. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's a clean sweep, obviously for me. Like, it's Bauer. Like, because like you mentioned, Josh, you put. You put Bauer and Darvish up head-to-head -head in statistical categories, and like one of the only ones that Darvish is taking the lead on is is wins because he led the NL in, in wins with eight. But win-loss record is kind of iffy anyway. You know, not that like we should discredit what Darvish did there because eight wins in this season is still very fantastic. Um, but, you know, Trevor Bauer, you look at it, he leads the entire major leagues and hits per nine and complete games shutouts. Uh, he also led the American, uh, the National League, excuse me, in ERA with a 173. Uh, he led in WHIP uh, at 0795, 
and he also led. Um, he's also second in quality starts at nine, and was second in strikeouts, only four behind Degrom. So, you know, like you mentioned, hundred uh, on the dot. I mean, you just look at his dominance and. The, another big thing for me too is like a, earlier this week, a mid uh, midweek, Trevor Bauer starting on three days rest, um, mind you, and going out there and pitching an absolute gym on three days rest, and that for me, like you talk about, like you know, people talk about in college football a Heisman moment or like in sports like an MVP moment. That for me is Trevor Bauer's Cy Young moment to start on three days rest in the midst of the Cincinnati playoff push when they need him the most. And he goes out there and dominates with an absolute gem of a game. And that, to me, is what solidifies on top of this. It's like a cherry on top, you know, of this beautiful Cy Young Sunday. Yeah, and you look at the the average, too. His average let up was like 160. It's something just absolutely stupid. So you're right. Like, you want a guy that's not only going to fire a ball club up, but lead a team that really for the entire season was kind of fighting on its, uh, on its last life, trying to make the playoffs. I mean, that, that alone when you talk about like most valuable Bauer was the most valuable pitcher in the NL. Yeah. Cause you take Bauer, like we, you know, I've talked a lot about this, like three headed monster that the Reds have with Bauer, Gray and Castillo. And that's a very solid pitching rotation. It's a very solid pitching staff that the Reds have, but you take Bauer out of that equation with the way this season played out, right? If that's any other pitcher, do I think with the way the season panned out and all the other games that Bauer didn't play in, do the Reds make the postseason without him? No. And that, I think, is your defining attribute because you take out the Darvish games, you still have Kyle Hendricks on that staff, you still have a very good ball club, a team that won the NL Central. They're still in the playoffs. But you take Bauer off of that staff, the Reds aren't in the playoffs with the way that everything else shaped up. And that, to me, also is, a, is, is something you have to look at because it's like, a Cy Young, most valuable pitcher, a, a most valuable player kind of thing. Like, take that player off of the team, and what does that team become? Yeah, and if you look at, like, right now, you know, you got you got guys in, like, you know, these series in the first round of the playoffs. Who are you most scared to face? I don't want to face a motivated Trevor Bauer. I really don't. <laughs> because he's going to be out, he's going to be out blowing oh, steam no. at whatever comes his way. And I think the only thing you could really look at in terms of the de- deciding factor between Darvish and Bowers wins, and we've seen that doesn't matter with the- Jacob DeGrom's last two Cy Youngs. So other than that, yeah, there's no stat that backs it up for Darvish. I'm pretty sure the win st- statistic is officially dead when deciding Cy Young, especially after DeGrom winning the past two. Uh, so I-, I-, I personally never thought wins was that big of a deal uh, because there's a lot that can go wrong with your team. And pitchers can only pitch so much unless you're Trevor Bauer and you pitch two complete game shutouts. Uh, that's kind of putting everything in your own hands. But, yeah, I mean, he dominated this whole year. I mean, you can't – and it, just to add to it, just everything that's been going on with him him versus the commissioner, uh, it just adds <laughs> on to that fire. So Yeah, he's winning the fan vote for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. he He's definitely got the uh, Twitter support, uh, without a doubt. Um, but – now let's talk about MVPs because this is where things get a lot more intriguing. Because um, the AL Cy Young clear cut, the NL Cy Young little more arguable, but still there's a clear favorite at least here on this podcast with Bauer. The MVP races a little more wide open. 
um, especially in the American League, there's a lot of guys that you can uh, talk about in that race. Uh, so, guys, who do you favor for American League MVP? Josh, we'll start with you. Um, the main one I've been looking at, uh, there, I, I feel like there's two two that I'm interested in. It's Jose Abreu and it's uh, Jose Ramirez. Those are my two big ones right there. Um, Abreu, he he leads in WAR. He's got he had a 2.7 WAR. He's leading in slugging slugging percentage and stuff like that. Uh, Ramirez has just been super impressive this whole year. Um, I kind of was caught off guard for some reason, even though I saw it on the script and I don't have stats pulled up. But uh, <laughs> I mean, Ramirez he's got a 2.87 average with 17 home runs, stuff like that. I mean, he's been he's been solid this whole year. But I think. I might give this to Jose Abreu, in my opinion. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Yeah, that. I'm right there with you. I like Abreu. I think mainly because you look at the two teams involved here. I know we don't really use the team factor involved, but the White Sox came out of absolutely nowhere. And you got a guy right here that in the past has kind of been well-known for hitting you know, hitting bombs and driving in a lot of runs, but he had a 317 average. I think that said a lot about Jose Abreu's plate discipline this year. Um, and the fact that surrounded by a lot of young guys, you got to think that leadership factor as well played a huge deal in that clubhouse because there's a lot of young guys that have never been around this environment. No one's been in this COVID environment. And to have that consistent of a 60-game stretch, I mean, he's averaging one RBI a game. That's, that alone right there is pretty 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 nice. That so is, Yeah, that is insane. Yeah, I, I'd give it to Abreu. You can make an argument for Ramirez. You could also make an argument for uh, Luke Voigt, too, at the Yankees. Uh, I don't really buy into you know twenty two bombs being the only reason you should get that, but yeah, I think Abreu's been the most consistent hitter. Yeah, and you know I think I I would agree with you guys, and uh, you know I you look at the arguments, there are legitimate arguments for Ramirez, but there's also legitimate arguments I've seen people making for like Shane Bieber, uh, but for me it it really is Jose Abreu because like you guys mentioned, it's like. I think you can take Jose Ramirez off of the Indians and they would be less hurt than the White Sox would be if you took Jose Abreu away. And that's kind of one of the points of this award. I know I touched on that with Cy Young and that's I'm going to touch on this again here. But another thing too, like numerically, like you mentioned, Bradley, statistically speaking, he's got 60 RBIs. That's one per game and that literally leads all of Major League Baseball. Also, he leads all of Major League Baseball with 76 hits. Um, so that's pretty big as well. And a 624 slugging percentage for best in the American League. On top of that, 19 home runs, which is a pretty solid number if I do say so myself in this shortened season. Um, so it's for me, I I gotta go with Jose Abreu as well because that uh, let's see, yeah, that 19 mark is number two in the AL behind one Luke Voigt. Yeah, and, and you gotta got it sitting 370 on base too. I mean, compared to Ramirez, 386. I mean, you get you get a guy that's getting on base. He's driving in runs. He's not only hitting a lot of home runs, but he's got great play discipline, three seventeen average, um, and and it's just kind of feel good too to see a White Sox player win the MVP. I mean, that's kind of plays some factor too, right? It'd be strange, not gonna lie. It would be really cool, especially for this team that like, you know, they weren't really relevant for a while, and now all of a sudden they're bursting onto the scene here. It, it's really cool to see. You know, at least at the very minimal, at the very minimum, a guy in in the consideration, let alone potentially winning it. And then even involved in the conversation as well. I know you didn't mention it was Mike Trout. I mean, on here he's you know sixth in RBIs, hitting two eighty one in a down year. He might finish third in the uh, in MVP voting, which is pretty pretty nice. That's just a normal yeah. year for Mike Trout, though. Just another day at the office. 
finishing top three. It, top three in the MVP voting is just another year. It's whatever. Yeah. And Mike Trout's starting to get the, like, as much as I hate to make the comparison, like, the LeBron treatment in terms of MVP, like, because you look at the NBA and it's like, there's always people every single season like, oh, well, obviously LeBron's the best player. Obviously he's the most valuable player, but they're not going to give him the MVP award every single season. And you could make the case, the same case in, in the AL every year that, like, yeah, Mike Trout's clearly the best player. He's clearly the most talented. He may not have the best numbers, per se, in that particular season, and he's not going to get it every year because why would they give him that award literally every single season? Yeah. But he's always a he's always in the consideration, which says something. It's crazy still. too, because I'm looking here at some of the numbers, and one thing you don't really look at a lot. I know we paid a lot of close attention to RBIs, home runs, average, but Jose Abreu had 240 at bats. That was 21 more at bats than Jose Ramirez. So, again, you know you can't control that in a whole season, but that's a pretty sizable difference. I mean, that's that's not just a couple here and there. That's that could that could drastically impact a lot of the stats too. So. I don't know if they really look at that or not, but that's interesting. I think it's, I think, no, it's interesting you mentioned that because, like, I think about it and I break it down, like, in a, a terms of, like, not just the stats, but more importantly, like, the contribution to your team because it shows you're out there on the field, right? Or, you know, if you're DHing at the very, like, you're still, like, you're in the lineup playing. So you're contributing to your team. You're valuable to your team. It's kind of like looking at innings for a pitcher. Um, the fact that Trevor Boward makes that three day rest start right that's more innings for him he's got those complete games so you're you're pitching deeper into a ball game making you more valuable to your team the more at bats is kind of that too and there's some context to it like is it because you know are they playing more games are they putting up more numbers is he getting more at bats because they're putting up more runs kind of thing but you know if there were injuries to it if Ramirez missed three days and that takes away at bats. That shows that Abreu was in the lineup more and is more valuable to his club in that regard because he's out there more and is still putting up these numbers. Yeah, that's second most in baseball too, behind Whit Merrifield. So you're right; like he's consistently not missing any any at bats. He's out there all the time. Yes. Well, now that we've got that one, let's see if there's any disagreement on the National League side of things, or are we going to clean sweep it again? Uh, Bradley, let's start us off. National League MVP. Who you got? Two numbers for you: three forty-one and four sixty-two. The answer is Freddie Freeman. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was hoping someone would disagree with me on this, but dang it. I had like a whole speech prepared. I was ready to be like, ah, disrespected. No, but uh, I know there are sexier picks like Mookie Betts or even Manny Machado, I suppose. Uh, but Freddie Freeman is top Tatis three. Tatis even. Tatis fell off towards the end of the year, though. He, he, hit, he hit the... Uh, he hit the yeah. wall that most people expected him to. He's kind of drifted off. But Manny Machado, his numbers have stayed up. Freddie Freeman is top three in literally every single category. I cannot find a category that he is not top three at the moment, except for, like, random ones like Defensive War, which that's against first baseman anyways. But, like, you, you go batting average, on-base, slugging, on-base plus slugging. I mean, he is top three in almost every category. And the only person who's beating him is Juan Soto, which I don't think Juan Soto is going to win MVP just because the Nationals were trash this year. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's hard to go against Freddie Freeman. It really is. And I really hope he wins because he deserves it. And I think just from a storyline perspective, he deserves it because he was one of the bigger names to catch COVID before the season started. And he said he had a really bad bout with it. Like, he was 
praying that he wasn't going to die, stuff like that. So I think it would be a really cool story that someone who got hit with COVID that hard in this COVID-ridden season goes on to have a career year and win MVP. So you got, I got stats, I got storylines. I mean, everything is backing up Freddie Freeman. The only thing not backing up Freddie Freeman is the good old Atlanta sports curse, which once again, we will get to that later. He's also tied for last in triples, so I hate to break it to you, but he's not good in everything. But he's leading in doubles, <laughs> so. Yeah, we can't, we can't fault the man for not having speed as a first baseman. Have you seen him run? There is some context. Have you seen him run? He is... Hey, he glorious. had twice. <laughs> it's like a new. It's he like had a twice as many Mike Trout. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, that's because Mike Trout's too busy hitting the ball into the rock statue out there in Anaheim. And on top of that, you can't. You Thirty-seven can't strikeouts, <laughs> which is a lot less than a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, like you. I mean, there's not much else for me to say on it. I agree. It's a clean sweep again. Wow, we're really boring so far. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I think it's gotta be Freddie Freeman, but I think it's interesting that, you know, I didn't even notice this until today and I'm going to, I'm going to present a random dark horse candidate that might get some interesting votes and could maybe sneakily get second, you know, in this voting, like Marcelo Zuna, who today I just realized this morning, like he was eerily close to getting a, a triple crown per chance. Like he was third in batting average, just a 11 or so points behind Juan Soto and the Nationals sat Juan Soto at a certain point in their game today to prevent that from happening but if Marcelo Zuna had gone off today and gone like 5 for 5, Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto both go over, there's a chance he could have climbed them and maybe gotten a triple crown but instead he got 2 out of the 3 which ain't bad but like you look at the numbers in the the, uh, the statistical categories like Marcelo Zuna's name is right there with Freddie Freeman like He's only three points behind Freddie in batting average. He's leading the National League in home runs at 18, leading in RBIs at 56, which is three more than Freeman. Um, he's got four more hits than Freddie, uh, which puts him at second in the NL. Uh, he's right there, toe for toe, step for step, with, with Freddie Freeman in a lot of these statistical categories. Ozuna has the most plate appearances in all of Major League Baseball, so you as we talk about, you know, the guy who's consistently getting his at-bats and not missing them. Um, he also leads the National League in total bases, which is interesting. Uh, I I don't, you know, I, I think the vote should go to Freddie. If I had a vote, I'd probably give my vote to Freddie Freeman, but what do you guys make of Ozuna being a potential dark horse candidate? I think the main thing going against Marcel Ozuna is that he mostly plays DH. He's mostly just the DH for the Braves. Anytime he goes out into the outfield, it's bad, like incredibly bad. Uh, like he should never be fielding ever again in his career bad. Uh, and I think that's going to lose him a lot of votes, especially in the National League. I know the National League, they have the DH now, like for this year and maybe for the foreseeable future. But like, uh, I, I feel like a lot of voters are going to look down on the DH portion of the of that. Yeah, so. and you also you also got to ask the question too on that team. I know this is the point of the whole discussion here, but who's the best player on the Braves? It's Freddie Freeman. So if you're not the best player on your own team, debatably, if it's close, I think you got to give it to the guy that's probably going to be more often than not considered the best player on the roster. I also want to give a shout out real quick before we can conclude our MVP discussions. Uh, I would like to change my AL MVP to David Fletcher from the Angels because of his 16-game hit streak. 
<laughs> Just because I miss talking about him. Fair enough. He legit had a really good year this year, and I he just, just kind of came out did, nowhere. Dude, he did, man. I'm I'm buying a jersey at the end of this year. Yeah. Dare I say, like, if I don't know if there's an actual word for it, but like, if there is, breakout he hit player. Three twenty-five. <laughs> Yeah, 325. He only hit three home runs, but, you know, that's fine. Eh, he's an average guy. Yeah, he's, he's getting on base, man. He's, he's, he's a Billy Bean guy. guy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but it's time to get into what we're all here for. Postseason preview. 60 Major League Baseball regular season games for each team, except for the Cardinals and a few others. Um, that's all concluded. We now know which 16 teams and which eight from each league are going to be in the postseason in this brand spanking new format that we may see in the future as well moving forward. Um, but this year, uh, the, the new playoff format, we've touched on it before in previous episodes, so we're not going to delve too deep into like what's actually happening with that. We're going to focus more so on the matchups, who's in, who's playing, and who's going to make it all the way. And we're going to start uh, with... Uh, um, first, I'm going to tell you guys... Who's there? So your eight seeds in order in the American League, first and foremost, I'm just going to run them down. One to eight, it's the Rays, A's, Twins, Indians, Yankees, Astros, White Sox, and Blue Jays. And then the National League, it's the Dodgers, Braves, Cubs, Padres, Cardinals, Marlins, Reds, and Brewers. So we're going to go series by series for this first round, break it down, who we think is going to advance, and then we'll give our quick predictions on who we think are going to make it to the World Series and come out on top, lifting that hunk of metal, I mean the Commissioner's Trophy. Um, So let's get right into it, and we'll start in the American League with the 1-8 matchup. In American League East East Affair, the Tampa Bay Rays and Toronto Blue Jays, which I think is the series I'm most excited for. Uh, sure. (laughs) It's it's a series that's (laughs) happening, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, but for real, it's going to be a good one. I mean, they 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 both have been surprises this year, I feel like. I mean, the Rays not really. The Rays haven't been that much of a surprise. I think a lot of people expected them to win that division. But the Blue Jays kind of came out of nowhere, I feel like, to make the playoffs. Uh, so, I mean, I thought I think everybody expected Tampa to be like the wild card team out of this division and the Yankees to win it. So, I mean, they're still like these two are very surprising to be in the positions that they are in. So it'll be an interesting series to watch. Yeah, it's also awesome to see that. I know we talked a couple weeks ago uh, when we were previewing with like two weeks left what the playoff situations looked like. And you had a lot of interdivisional matchups. You only have, I believe, one, right? The Rays and Blue Jays, that's the only one. You only have one single divisional matchup, which I think provides a lot of variety in some of these matchups that we probably haven't seen most of the year. Um, I think this one's a pretty... Pretty easy one to pick. I mean, the Blue Jays would be great to watch, you know, make a little run. Um, but I think the Rays, while they have been a little bit slumpy over the last couple weeks or so, um, I think top to bottom, they're just a consistent ball club. Uh, they really fly under the radar. Uh, the pitching staff, I even think, hasn't even been as good as it as it uh, could have been this year. Uh, they've got just a lot of weapons. The bullpen's great. They're a complete team. Um, I don't see them looking past the Blue Jays, who they've really faced a lot this year. Yeah, I'm liking the Rays. I love this Blue Jays team, this Buffalo slash Toronto Blue Jays team. There's a lot of young talent there. This is a team that we haven't heard the last of. Like, I don't think they're making it out of this first round. Honestly, I'm thinking two-game sweep. But 
this is a team I think that's going to, especially if there's this expanded format continuing uh, for the next few years, this is a team that is going to be in the playoffs again next year and beyond because they're only going to keep getting better. There's a lot of young talent there. Uh, they really broke out this year, but this Rays team is one of the most complete and consistent, like you guys said, top to bottom. I mean, that bullpen, you know, I know there's been a lot of love given to that A's bullpen as one of the top bullpens in, in the league this year, but the Rays bullpen has also been right up there along with it, and in some ways even better. Um, so I really like this Rays team to come out on top. Yeah, the key for Toronto yeah, is going to be if Ryu wins the first game. If he can't win the first game, sweep. If he does... You better have a, a good second starter that can get it done because the Rays are coming in with a lot of guys uh, yeah. by committee. I mean, they might even go one or two innings at a time if they have to to get it done. But Ryu's got to win that first game. Uh, Ryu's usually pretty clutch in the playoffs uh, from his time at the Dodgers. So uh, they, they could potentially take game one, just kind of sneak it out. But I think Tampa is probably going to win this series overall. So it might, it might, be, it might go to three games, which you would kind of hope so in these weird three-game series. But yeah. I, I, got, I got Tampa. They, I think they have more depth. I think they have more, um, I guess, experience. That Not really experience. Uh, they, these, are very two, these are two very inexperienced teams. So, I mean, but I think Tampa, they, they were on fire for most of the year. So I, I'm going with Tampa on this one. Yeah, I, and I think another interesting thing to note, and there's something I, I didn't mention at the beginning, with all of these series, the higher seed is going to host all three games. So I know that there's no fans, which takes away a huge and arguably the most important aspect of your home field advantage. But still, like, you have to feel a lot better being the team playing all three games at home when you are knowing the ballpark and you're more comfortable with the ballpark. Now, it helps that the Blue Jays have played in this ballpark plenty this season, as opposed to a lot of these other matchups, which are now interdivisional, and you haven't played at this park at all this season, but still... That's got to that's gotta be beneficial to the Rays as well. Um, let's move on, though, to the next series with the uh, Indians and Yankees, the 4-5 matchup. The Yankees, a big favorite to win the East this year for a lot of teams and to make it and maybe even win the World Series. They struggled. Uh, they had injury concerns, and they fell all the way to the fifth seed and now have to travel to Cleveland to face arguably one of the hottest teams in all of the American League and in all of baseball in the Indians right now. But that first matchup, that first day, first game, Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber. I am excited for that. Bradley, let's start with you, though. Who comes out on top in this three games? I mean, set? if you would have given me one reason to doubt Shane Bieber this year, I would have I would have bought into it. But I haven't, haven't seen one yet. I mean, I know Cole's good. Bieber's better. I mean, plain and simple. I think what we talked about with Jose Ramirez, they've, they've got guys that have consistently been around and have played in this kind of environments before. And let's be honest, the Yankees are inconsistent. We don't know what Yankees team we're going to get. we got a pretty good idea what Cleveland Indians team we're going to get. I mean, they have a great staff. Shoot, Trevor Bauer could have been on the Indians, so we could be talking about the best starting five in baseball. Um, I, Ooh, I, th- I think right now, yeah, you, you got a team that's been playing really consistently amongst a lot of other really good teams in their division. Let's be honest, the Yankees didn't play well against good competition. I mean, they struggled against the Rays and even against Toronto for a a lot of the season. So I I can't believe I'm saying this after the preseason predictions, but I'm taking the Indians. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting series. Uh, It really is. I think that that first game, obviously, between Bieber and Cole is going to be the most – that's going to pretty much decide the series for me, in my opinion. Because, like, I feel like that's the only game – 
that I wouldn't say matters, but that's the that's the big matchup right there between the two best pitchers for each team, which I know that's how every playoff series is, but you know what I'm saying. But uh like these are two big time pitchers. I think Cleveland, their I think their bullpen is a little better. Yankees, they've been on fire here at this last remember two weeks ago we were talking about the Yankees potentially not making the playoffs and they went on this huge run winning what, like twelve games in a row or something like that to get in. Uh I just think the Yankees are way too inconsistent um to especially against good competition like Bradley said, and you're facing the Cy Young triple crown winner Shane Bieber in game one. Uh, that might completely shoot their confidence down, and then it'll completely depend on uh, just the rest of the rotation for uh, the Indians. So I, I, I actually, I actually think the Indians. Yeah, I'll go with the Indians too. Yeah, make it a sweep. I'm taking the Indians as well. I that's going to be a hell of a matchup in Game One. I mean, for for someone who loves a good pitcher's duel as myself does, um, whew, I am ready for that. But um, when you, when you look at the way the season's played out, like you mentioned, Josh, like Cy, presume, presumptuous Cy Young winner and Triple Crown winner, Shane Bieber, better season, more consistent this year, the way he's dominated people at home nonetheless, give me Shane Bieber in that matchup, and that's going to set the tone. Now, I will say this. If Garrett Cole does somehow come up with the victory in that game, if the Yankees do take game one against Bieber, then I that's enough momentum for me to say the Yankees might come out on top in this series. But I just don't see that happening, especially with the way these teams are playing coming into it. Like you mentioned, Josh, the Yankees have been too inconsistent. Yeah, they picked it up here at the end to make sure that they got in and then get that second-place spot over the Blue Jays in that division because for a while there it looked like the Blue Jays were going to overtake them for that, and the Yankees might have been one of those seven or eight seeds. Um but still, the last two series they played, the Blue, the Yankees lost two out of three to the Marlins and three out of four to the Blue Jays. That's not what you want coming into the playoffs, especially going up against the Indians, who in their last three series took nine out of 11 games. So when you talk about the postseason, when sometimes, as we've seen very, very often, it's not who's better, it's who's hotter. I think the Indians are definitely hotter and arguably better. So, give me the Indians in this matchup. Now, let's move on, though. Uh, 3-6 matchup, Twins and Astros. Josh, who are you taking in this one as the Astros actually losing record? Yeah, I read a stat earlier that uh, the Astros and the Cardinals, I believe, are the only two teams ever to make the playoffs with a losing record. Uh, And that's because of the shortened season and these expanded playoffs that we're dealing with right now. Uh... It's in, it was uh, Brewers, not Cardinals. Yeah, Brewers. My bad. Uh, but uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup because, I mean, you have Zach Greinke for the Astros, of course. I mean, he could probably steal you a game right there. But other than that, the Astros have looked bad this year. I mean, they barely got out of. They barely got this. They barely got in because they got second place in their division. Uh, they barely survived Seattle and the Angels to get in this position. And that's not a very strong division other than the Oakland A's. It's not a very strong division they're dealing with. Meanwhile, you have the Twins who had to face off against the Indians and the White Sox. I mean, everything is going for the Twins. The the Twins have one of the best lineups in in baseball, in my opinion. And then you have Kentai Maeda and 
all and yeah, I, I got the Twins. I, I don't see the Astros winning this. They've been so bad this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a definite uphill battle for the Astros. The Twins are coming off of winning arguably one of the the best top to bottom divisions in baseball right now. I know that the NL Central had four teams get in, but you look you look at the top half of the uh, of the AL Central and it's loaded. I mean, you got three teams legitimately that can make the World Series in that one division. So um, I like the Twins too. I mean, my eight has been a stud. His ERA and WHIP is just off the charts this year. Uh, a guy that's just flown under the radar all season, uh, and they back it up well with a great um, a great lineup, one to nine. I mean, Nelson Cruz and Rosario have been there for them all year, um, so they can they can hit the long ball. They also hit for average. Um, and they're, they're, I think they're really coming into their own at the right time. You know, this is a Twins team that we've kind of been talking about the last couple years, but we didn't know when it was going to be their time to arrive. I think this is finally their time that they're putting it all together at the right time, and they're playing their best baseball uh, when it matters most. So I, I, I think this is probably going to be a pretty easy um, series for the Twins. Um, I don't see the Astros really holding much weight. So, yeah, I'll take the three seed. Yeah, I'm going to take the Twins as well. I just – the Astros, as you mentioned, they've looked bad this year. Um, and I know it's very easy to make the, uh, the the trash can jokes and whatnot, but like you look at their batting averages and their offensive production, it's taken a big dip. And I know that part of that could be due to the fact that it's a 60-game as opposed to 162-game season and everything that's going on. There's a lot of factors at play here. But you look at the eye test, too. This team clearly looks different. This team is just very different. They're missing Justin Verlander, which doesn't help at all, who was a big part of all of their past successes the past few seasons. Um, yeah, Zach Grinke's huge. That's that's huge for them. That can get you one, but you got to win two. And I just don't see how the Astros are going to go into Target Field in Minnesota and take two out of three from a surging twin squad who can absolutely beat the cover off of a baseball and also, they have some pretty good pitching as well to back that up on the other side of the, uh, of the field. So, I just, the Astros, they're in the postseason by default this year. They barely snuck in. Yeah, they're the sixth seed, but in reality, out of these eight teams, they're the absolute worst. Which is weird after the way they've looked the past few years, but I just don't see how they're getting past this twin squad. Yeah, I just the twins are 24-7 and seven at home, and the Astros are 9-23 uh, and 23 away from home. So that that right there is a pretty dead oof, giveaway. Oof, that's yeah. an oof. There's your nail in the coffin. Now the uh, final series in this American League first round, uh, this wild card round, we have the seven seed White Sox going to Oakland to take on the two seed Athletics. Bradley, start us off. You got Moneyball or you got the up and coming White Sox? I, I'm stunned. The White Sox are the seven seed. I mean, the whole time I was looking at them as the potential one seed, and that just shows how close a lot of these teams were in the American League. Um, but they're now at seven. If I'm the A's, I'm a little worried. I, I think you were in a real good position. I said from the very beginning, I thought this was going to be a really, really uh, great team along with the Rays, uh, and they've, you know, thankfully proven me right. But um, you know, we've seen the pitching. We've seen some guys like Matt Chapman and Matt Olson uh, finally put it all together. Um, they're right there with Tampa as one of the most complete ball clubs in baseball. But I'm concerned. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with the A's here. I know it's chalky, but I'm going to stick with with what I know. Um, but I think this is going to be easily probably the most entertaining series we see in the playoffs, um, at least in the first round. Uh, I'd like to go to the White Sox. Abreu's been great. Young team. I think if they had momentum, you could ride them. But I'd take the more experienced ball club that's playing the better baseball. See, we're finally getting a different opinion here, and I'm excited yes. about it. 
All right. So, first off, is Matt Chapman going to be playing? Because I know he's on the IL right now. Uh, that's going to be a huge thing, whether or not he plays or not. I don't know if he's going to be back or not. Uh, but I think the presumption is no. Okay, so the presumption is going to be no. So that's a huge hit already. Um, these two teams, this is this is the matchup I'm most excited for just because I've, I've loved the Oakland A's that, like, this entire year, but also the White Sox batting has just been out at been insane if I could think of words um these two teams are very close in team ERA and team batting average but I'm giving it to the White Sox because the White Sox batting they have Grandall they have Abreu they have Tim Anderson uh that's going to be that's a tough lineup to face especially when the A's best pitcher has a 2-2-9 ERA which is really good but everybody else is above four and stuff like that the White Sox they're pitching is a little better. You got Giolito. Dallas Keuchel with a solid 199 ERA this year, which I feel like is a little under the radar in my opinion. So I actually think the White Sox can take this series against the Oakland Athletics. Okay, I like it. Finally some disagreement, folks. We're finally getting uh, interesting for once on this show. I like it. Um, but sorry, Josh, I'm going to agree with Bradley. I'm going to take Moneyball. Well, I did and... all that for no reason then. <laughs> yes, you did. Um... My two biggest things with this are, one, I just think I'm going to shout out that Oakland A's bullpen, which has been one of the best in all of baseball this year. But also, uh, the way these teams are entering. Because the last 10 games for the White Sox, they won two. That is not how you want to enter the playoffs. They are cold as all get out right now. And there's actually been some arguments that the way that this team finished actually hurts Abreu's MVP chances, which I'm still giving it to him anyway, obviously, as we discussed earlier. But they are entering the postseason in a way that you don't want to enter. And they're going up against a very solid, very, very good and consistent um, Oakland A's squad that has more experience in these situations. I know that they haven't made deep playoff runs, but they've still made it to the playoffs in these past few years a few times. And this is an up-and-coming White Sox team that's a little too cold for me to ride on that young and uh, dumb factor that they just don't know any better, and they got all everything to prove. Now, they got everything to prove, but they're a little too cold for me to take that over the experience. So I'm going to take the experienced A's and ride, as you guys know, I love my pitching, ride that ball. Yeah, and I think the one the one thing you got to look at here is, yes, I, Josh, I would agree with you. I think the one-two punch of, of Keiko and Giolito is great. And I think that honestly could win them the series. But I foresee the series going three games. And I think when you add in Frankie Montas, who's been pretty solid, at least the first half of the year. I know the ERA has kind of shot up recently, mm-hmm. but... The guy can get a lot of strikeouts. He's a solid third starter. And I think for the White Sox, that third and fourth starter has been kind of a question mark this year in certain ways. And then you add in the bullpen and Liam Hendricks at the back half of it. I think that's going to be enough to carry them. Again, this series is going to be a coin flip in the end. For a 2-7 matchup, it's it's scary. Yeah. But I think that third starter is in game three is going to be what to do it. Yeah, I'm just very excited to watch this series. I, I'm just very – this yeah. is going to be a really good series to watch. For a 2-7 first-round matchup, it feels a lot more like it's more of a, like, ALDS, ALCS kind of matchup. And it's almost kind of a shame that we're getting this in round one. Uh, but alas, I think, you know, 
along with that Rays Blue Jay series, this is the one I'm the most excited for, and I think this one has the potential to maybe be the best series. Because I, I agree with you, Bradley. I think this one's going to be a three-game set. I think this one's going to go the distance. And going the distance, <laughs> even though it's a short distance. Um, so let's move it on over to the National League now. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little more disagreement here. Uh, let's see. But I don't think we're going to get much disagreement with this series. Yeah, the I was about to say, yeah, not in this the, one. <laughs> the, the, the number one seed Dodgers against the eight seed Brewers, as we already mentioned, one of the two teams in this postseason with a losing record. But, mind you, four teams from the NL Central made it this year. So uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is going to be a clean Dodger sweep. Yeah, you know why we're all here. We want to hear what you guys have to say with the 2-7 matchup, so we can just switch to that if you want. No, we got to no, save, we gotta save that, that last. last. <laughs> saving that yeah, for last. Yeah, Dodgers in very easy fashion. The Brewers backed their way into the playoffs, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, they did. And, uh, I mean, they're going to be facing Kershaw and either Dustin May or Julio Urias. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not coming out of this. They'll, they'll be no, lucky to win a is... game, in my opinion. I mean... It's a three-game series. I, I keep forgetting it's a three-game series. I'm going to be honest with you. but uh, Josh, I'm going to one-up you there. I think they'll be lucky to score a run. Okay, well, let's let's give Yelich some to do here, all right? <laughs> He's one man out of nine in a, in a batting lineup. Yeah, but one man I, can score saying. a run. I know. I'm just, just saying. saying it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough task is all I'm saying. That's a very tall ask. But, yeah, I mean, Yelich is a 202 ERA, not ERA, average. I mean, he has not been uh, – he has not been his MVP self, uh, so I, they just don't have a lot going for them, the Brewers. I mean, I know they made the playoffs. They got that going for them, but other than that, it is, it's not – I just don't see them. Remember, though, it is, it is the Dodgers in the playoffs. Yeah, they're though, in the, so. That is true. true. It's Kershaw in That's the playoffs. True. So I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, banking my Dodgers postseason woes to later. I don't think it's coming against the Brewers. They – other than – they usually don't struggle in the first round, I feel like. Last year they lost no, in the they second. Usually, yeah, they usually save it for the CS or World Series. we got to give them some credit there. At least they'll make it that far. But yeah, we're all in agreement there. LA. Uh, who are they going to face, though? Is it going to be the four Padres or the five Cardinals? Uh, so that series. Josh, let's uh, let's start with you on this one. Um, who, who you got? Well, I think it it's... I don't want to say it's all on Tatis because it's not. It, it it really depends on if the Padres can get hitting going. Um, I think they can win the pitching matchups here. Uh, their pitching has been pretty solid, or at least their top two to three guys have been pretty solid. Zach Devies and uh, Danielson Lamette, they've they've been pretty good. Uh, the Cardinals, I haven't heard much about them at all this year. Uh, they have Wainwright still. He's still there, I guess. And Flaherty is, of course, uh, Flaherty's having a down year, it looks like. So, I, I'm going with Padres just because I want the Padres to win. I really don't like the Cardinals. So, that's a homer pick, in my opinion. I, I think, I I just don't think, um, I think the Padres, they had the best trade deadline getting um, Clevenger and all that. So, I, I don't think the Cardinals can hang. You know, honestly, I'm going to go in the upset here. I think unless... Unless the Padres oh. get back Lamet and Clevenger, because they're both hurt now. They both got a little arm tightness and an elbow, what they call an impingement for Mike Clevenger. Uh, if they get them back, I go Padres. If not, I think the Cardinals are playing good baseball and a good division, 
and they're a consistent playoff team. We've seen it years in the past. Um, Adam Wainwright has slowly put together one of the best seasons for a guy in his late 30s, whatever. I don't know, is he early 40s? Like, he's old. Um, 38. 38. There you go. Yeah, this is, this, is the club, this is the Wainwright of old here. If you get those two guys back for the Padres, I'll give them the series. But unless you, unless you do, you're going to have Zach Davies and Chris Paddock as your one-two guys, and I don't have a lot of faith in that. So a lot riding on the, the status of these two guys. Yeah, I'm going to take the Padres still, though. I just I think the Padres have a lot more fire in them right now. Um, this is a team that's had a lot of fire in them. The, this young squad led by that – by by a young core with like Tatis, like you mentioned, Josh getting Clevenger at the deadline. Um, even though you know he's his status is questionable right now, he's still there. His presence has been felt. He's helped energize this ball club, and that energy I think is the big thing. Is the Cardinal squad that's been up and down and hasn't really had a lot of consistent play this season. Um, and this Padres squad has had a lot of success. They've been fiery, second best record. In the National League, um, if you go strictly by record, they should be a two seed, not a four seed. But they're a four seed by virtue of the of the structure of the playoffs um, as the highest uh, number two finisher in a, in a division. So they get this matchup instead. But I just I like this Padres squad playing at home. You know, for as I mentioned, I didn't. The White Sox came in too cold for me to run on the whole inexperience, but has a lot to prove thing. The Padres are warm enough for me to ride on the inexperience and has a lot to prove things. So I'm going to take the Padres in this matchup. you got to take some upsets at some point. <laughs> and I've gone all chalk, so I know it's a 4-5 upset, but weird <laughs> things have happened. And the yeah. injuries, again, just scare me. At the end of the day, it's baseball. Like, anything can happen, especially in a three-game series, because, you know, they play three-game series all throughout the year, and weird things happen. So it's terrible. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing, too. Like you mentioned, it's it's three games. How often in a five or even seven game series do you see a team take a two one lead and blow it? Right? Like that happens a lot. But a two one lead in a three game series wins you the series. And again, it's it's also very, you know, so, uncommon to see series go the way we expect from a pitching matchup too. I mean, you could see Garrett Cole go out in the fourth inning. You know, we don't anticipate it happening, but like it's baseball. Stuff happens like that. You have bad outings. So this has NCAA tournament feels to it, I'll be honest. Yeah, especially once you get into the uh, second round and beyond when you are in that quote-unquote bubble set. it's got a, That's going to have such a like NCAA regional feel and vibe to it, and I'm very here for that. Um, so let's, 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 get to, uh, let's get this rolling. Let's get on to this 3-6 matchup. The Cubs and Marlins. Last time we saw this in the playoffs, folks, 2003, Steve Bartman. So, Bradley, do we see the Marlins create more postseason magic, or do the Cubs uh, have some postseason magic of their own? Because, keep in mind, I want to throw this stat out there. Marlins have never won their division, didn't win it this year, but they've been in the playoffs twice before this year and won the World Series both Oh, times. I really hope they put a Steve Bartman cardboard cutout in left field. That would be perfect. That would be perfect. Right? That's what I was saying before we started. I oh, love that. epic. Um... Darvish is too much in game one. Um, I know stranger things have happened in baseball. Um, the Cubs are a divisional winner for a reason in, in, a, in a division that got four teams in. Um, the Marlins, great story. Again, I think they benefited a lot from that early start. I think you take away that hot start to begin the year where they got a lot of confidence. The different, Their run differential is minus 41. That's the worst in the NL East. That's almost the worst in the entire uh, NL in general. 
So it, it's a team that kind of sneaked in. I think they're a little false. They're a little fake. Um, as much as I hate the Cubs, I got to give it to them. This is honestly, I, I mean, some of these other matchups, I know they're interesting and like, because they're good teams or whatever. This is interesting just because I don't know what to make of either of these teams. Because the Marlins have been up and down the whole season. Uh, of course, you, they miss like two weeks of games, and then they come back, and they're just like they win. They win almost every game pretty much. And uh, then then you have the Cubs. They've been kind of struggling on and off, but they won their division. They won that tough division. I mean, this is this is a weird one, but this is definitely coming down to pitching because the Marlins, other than that other team we'll discuss next. Uh, they're the scariest team to play, in my opinion, when it comes to pitching. Because Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, like these guys have been on fire so far. Uh, they've been on fire throughout the whole season, in my opinion. Uh, they've been really good pitchers. But the, the issues come because, as you said, they have like a negative 40 run differential. However, like 30 of those are from two games. Only two games. Uh... I just can't get a grasp on this Marlins team, and I it hurts to like go against them because I love the meme of them not winning the division but winning the World Series every time they make the playoffs. But I got to go the Cubs here because you got Darvish, you got um, you got Kyle Hendricks. I mean, that's gonna be the, those are established guys that are going to that have that experience, and they, I think they beat the inexperience and I, this is kind of a big theme of this playoffs apparently the inexperience versus the experience i think i think the cubs take that yeah i agree i'm, I'm gonna go cubs all the way here this is just the inexperience versus the experience there's too much of a gap in this series the the cubs should be here the marlins shouldn't the glass slipper is gonna fall off on this cinderella story as much as i hate to see it as much as i love to see them pull off this upset i just don't think they have what it takes this is a squad they've you know they've done just enough to sneak into the playoffs here and kudos to them for that um that's really cool to see but this they they kind of got in by virtue of the system by finishing second there should they really be here arguably in terms of like their talent no not at all but they're here and you know this team is set up well for the future i mean there's a lot of young bright talent there you know, give it a give it a couple years, and we could see them actually maybe making some damage. But this is too early. You know, they're 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 too early for that. Cubs all the way in this one. I think, honestly, I think this one's a sweep. So let's move on. The main event here of this first round, the showdown of Wyatt and Josh, the Reds at uh, at the seven seed ta- taking on the Braves in Atlanta as the two seed. Bradley, before Josh and I rip each other the shreds, start us off with your prediction. The Reds have been my team since the Pirates basically started the season, honestly. But um, I, I have a, yes, a really, like I said, I have a really good friend that's a huge Reds fan, so I've been following it vicariously through him. Um, and I'm going to be honest, this is this is probably the series where you have one team that's really good at one thing and lacking in another, and then you got the other team that's really good at one thing and lacking the other. The Braves hitting and the Reds pitching is probably one of the best matchups you'd see in this entire playoffs. Um, and it's the one thing I think we can consistently probably depend on. Um, but, dude, I, I think the NL is going to blow up. I don't know. I just have a strange feeling because it's it's baseball and it's, the, it's COVID and it's the playoffs. I'm taking the Reds in a sweep. Oh, a sweep. Pitching, the pitching's good, man. I think Bauer's going to dominate game one. And then... 
Josh, you said it yourself. The Braves, the Braves can't. I mean, they can pitch, but it's shaky. You got you got injuries. You got some inconsistent guys. You got some new guys. That's a lot of question marks for me. And if you shut down those top two guys you have with with Freeman and Azuna, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot go. That's a lot going for you in Cincy. So uh, you're right. And like I said in the last game that we discussed, uh, this is inexperience versus experience because the Braves. Top three pitchers is Max Freed, second year in the league. Ian Anderson, who debuted earlier this season. And Kyle Wright, who debuted like three weeks ago. <laughs> Those are the top three pitchers for the Braves at the moment going into the playoffs. Those are going to be the three guys that the Reds will see. Um, yeah, it's tough. The Braves, they have the best lineup, I feel like, in the league. It's tough when they get the perfect lineup. When they have everyone healthy, like they have in these past couple weeks, it is there is no one that there is no one that I sit there and just like, yeah, he's gonna get out. Like, and I'm so used to that because I've been watching the Braves for for a long time and since 2015 at least. Well, actually, no, before that because Justin Upton and BJ Upton would always get out, strike out, or whatever. This is the first time that I've looked at a Braves lineup and I've said, holy cow, like. It's going to be rare for like them to get like a stupid out or something like that. I mean, Austin Riley was a big question mark coming into the year, and he's been better, I guess. I mean, he's hitting 240, which that's an improvement because he was hitting like 100 last year. Uh, I mean, this Braves lineup is dangerous. I mean, we talk about Fre- Freeman, we talk about uh, we talk about Acuna, we talk about Ozuna, but Travis Darno is another guy that has been kind of under the radar i mean he he's in the 99th percentile of a bunch of different statistics if you look at saber metrics and stuff like that i mean he hits the ball really hard and he has a 321 batting average to show for it i think this braves pitching i'm not Braves pitching i think this braves hitting is good enough to beat bauer castillo sonny gray i think i i think they're good enough to get at least a couple runs the big question mark is going to be whether or not the braves starting pitching can keep the Reds from scoring multiple runs. That's to the that's the key to this series. I feel like Max Freed. I'm not worried about. I th- I feel like Max Freed can get to at least the seventh inning with giving up only like one or two runs, and then let the bullpen take care of it. Ian Anderson. That's a bit shaky. Like I said, he debuted earlier this year. He is 22 years old, and you're expecting him to come into a very high stress situation. In game two, whether you win or lose game one, that's a high-stress situation there in game two. I think the Braves' bullpen is good enough to carry the starting rotation, but the issue is getting to the bullpen. The starting rotation still needs to survive five or six innings each game, which I'll go to the Reds batting The Reds batting real quick. They only have, like, they only have one guy batting over 250. i am not really scared of the Reds' lineup. And why we talked we talked earlier. I know the Reds are on fire right now. They're they're having this huge streak right now. But once again, only one guy batting over 250. I'm not particularly terrified of this lineup. That's still a mistake. Okay. To not be terrified. I'm for me the biggest thing is the pitching. I know this lineup has underperformed significantly this year. Um but they're on fire recently. This the Cincinnati Reds team is red hot right now, no pun intended. And that the statistics don't really show their talents because these guys got off to an incredulously slow start, a hair-ripping-out-of-your-head slow start, and that's why the numbers are low. 
but you really look at what they've been doing recently. They just took two out of three against the friggin' Twins in Minnesota. I think that says something. Um, the, the Reds, like, they finished the season with, like, five straight series wins or something like that to get into this playoffs. Like, when the pressure was on the most, they picked it up and they meshed. You know, you look at that lineup, there's still a ton of talent top to bottom, right? You, you look at a guy like uh, Joey Votto, still bangs. Joey Votto's still really good. He can still beat you. A. Eugenio Suarez is capable of beating you um, very well. And then the biggest contributors are some of the new guys in Nick uh, Castellanos and the Moose himself, Mike Moustakis. They've really been the key factors to this Reds team, this Reds lineup this year and what they've been doing. Um, Shogo Akiyama, slow start. He's really coming into it as of late. Jesse Winker's really good. Sinzel, he's he's still starting to find a groove a little bit. This is a team that the numbers don't necessarily indicate what they're capable of. While that, re- I will say though, that Braves lineup is better. But that, to me, isn't what the series comes down to. It's not the hitting. This series comes down to the pitching for me. And, yeah, that's a disgusting matchup in Game 1 of Bauer versus Max Freed. That one could set the tone. But, still, when you look at it, after Freed, there's a dip. With the Reds, there is no dip. You've got three ace-caliber pitchers. It's a three-headed monster, and I know I harp on this a lot. It's a three-headed monster. It's Bauer, Castillo, and then Gray. Yeah, Sonny Gray's the three guy there. That's not a guy you want to go up in a winner-take-all game three. And I'm going to take good pitching over good hitting in a matchup every day of the week, especially in a three-game set. Yes, that Braves bullpen, really good. Like you mentioned, Josh, it's good enough to carry you if the starting pitching can keep you in the game long enough before you get to the bullpen. But you mentioned your worry there. Will the starting pitching do that? Game one, I think, is your biggest chance for that. But I think the Reds starting pitching, top to bottom there in that three-game set of the three guys we're going to see, significantly better. And the Reds' bullpen, still really good. They had their preseason struggles. They're really coming into it. The Archie Bradley addition at the deadline was huge for us. Ryasul Iglesias was shaky for a lot, but he's really settled in here these last couple of this last week and a half or so. Uh, I just think when you get down to it, the pitching is what wins this series for the Reds. The pitching is better. And the pitching, the, the, I think the hitting is going to feed off of the pitching as they've done a lot, especially here at the latter part of the season as they've been in this playoff push, as they've gotten hot. I just think, yeah, that Reds line, or that uh, Braves lineup is, is disgustingly good, but the Reds pitching rotation is disgustingly good as well. And I'm going to take that over hitting every day of the week. I mean, you're right. It does come down to pitching, but in my opinion, I think it comes down to the bullpen. And I think the Braves have an advantage at bullpen here. Um, it really depends on the Reds' bullpen. Because, yeah, Bauer can pitch like seven shutout innings, but if you get to the bullpen and the bullpen gives up, this Braves team, it's frustrating as it is, they turn it on after the seventh inning. Literally, some Braves games don't start until the seventh inning hits. I mean, once that seventh inning stretches over, I mean, all of a sudden the Braves turn on. And it really confuses me, and I hate it, and it's stressful, and my heart can't take it, especially not in the playoff scenario like we're about to get. So it really depends on how the Reds' bullpen does, uh, whether they can contain uh, the comeback kids out of the Braves, which I really hate. Once again, I'm going to have a heart attack. So uh, my opinion, I'm going Braves, just the homer pick. I'm going full-on homer here and choose the Braves winning in – I don't want to say 
I feel like if it goes three games, it's the Reds. But I also don't think the Braves are going to win two games. But I'm still going to say Braves in three. Um, but as a Braves fan my whole life, I know for a fact we're going to lose like 20 to zero one of these games. So it's going to be great. I love it. <laughs> I'm ready yeah, to I get hurt this... again. <laughs> All I'm saying is, regardless of the outcome of this series, next week's podcast is going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> for sure. And this next week within this apartment, because for those of you who don't know, Josh and I live together. It's going to be interesting. Um, so, Josh, best of luck to you and your team. But uh, I hope you get hurt again for my own Lethal. Sake. Well, dang. <laughs> Jesus. Love to <laughs> my see it. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk. It's a, it's a, it's a, a Reds October, a nice baby. <laughs> yeah, what a jerk, man. Hey man, I'm sorry, Josh. We're all I'm sorry. The table. Yeah. Hey, we'll be friends again after this series. Uh, well, not after that. <laughs> oh well, yeah, that's fair. I deserve it. Uh, yes. So that's the first round. The rest of this, we're just going to go through really quickly. I know we've gone a really long time. So those of you who are still with us, thank you. Um, real quick, just run down who you think are going to win the rest of the, your series in the uh, in in then uh, to tell us who we get in the. Uh, uh, World Series, and then we'll jump right into that. So I'll start us off. I've got the Rays over the Indians, A's over Twins, with the Rays coming out into the uh, World Series from the American League. I'll take the Padres over the Dodgers. That's where I think their woes come into play. I'll go with the upset there. Um, I'll take Reds over Cubs, and then I'm going complete homer. I'm putting the Reds in the World Series. Josh, what do you got? Wow. Okay. Uh, I agree with you with the Rays. I think the Rays can uh, make the ALCS. Uh, then they'll face the Twins, I feel like. And I think the Rays will make the World Series. Uh, on the other side, I think the Dodgers beat the Padres and get to the NLCS. And then I think the Dodgers will make it to the World Series and beat the Braves uh, if the Braves don't blow it against the Cubs. So uh, that, that's my bracket right there. I'm going to be a little bit different. Again, I think there's going to be a lot of chaos here because it's just baseball and it's a weird year. Um, I'm going to take the Indians over the Rays. I think the pitching matchup, the Rays have been decent pitching all year. I think the bullpen's been good. I think the Indians are going to end up taxing their starters. I think the bullpen's going to have to do a lot of work. So I think in a series, I trust the Indian starters more, and I'm going to go Cleveland there. And then I'm going to take the A's. I had them preseason going far. Um, and I think if I think this is finally a year where we're seeing them play consistently good baseball. And they dominated the AL West. So I'm going to take the A's. Um, and then I really want to go with the Indians. I think I'm going to take the safer pick and just go with the 2C, take the A's to make the World Series. That would be great to see Billy Bean finally make, that, make the World Series. Um, and then in the National League, I think the Dodgers went easily. I had the Cardinals in the upset. Um, I think the Dodgers roll in that. It's they got four or five quality starters that would be aces like literally anywhere else. So, give me the Dodgers there. Uh, the Reds and Cubs. I'll take the Reds by default. Again, I, I I lean a lot on pitching, especially in October. So I'm gonna go with the Reds there. Um, and then the why I hate to do it to you, man. I'd love to see the Reds make it. That would be incredible. Um, but that's gonna be a lot of a lot of wait on Bauer and Gray and Castillo to get them there. And I think if they happen to do it, I'd take the Dodgers in the safe pick. Um, and then L.A. is just too good. I mean, it's any team out of the AL, out of the AL I don't think stands a chance. I think the Dodgers win easily, and this is a, a really chalky year. Uh, number one seed wins it. 
All right, so Bradley, you're starting us off there. You're, you're going to take the Dodgers to win the whole thing. I think I, I want to say I had a preseason. I might have the Yankees, but yeah, man, it's, it's hard to go against them. All right, Josh, in your World Series matchup, who do you have winning? Uh, God, we're going chalk, aren't we? I got Dodgers, too. I mean, they, they've been consistently the best team uh, in the league this whole season, this whole weird season. Uh, so I'm, I got Dodgers. Well, the good news is we can't have a clean sweep on that one because I didn't even put the Dodgers in the World Series. Yeah, because you're a uh, homer. But I am a homer, which is why the Rays are going to win. I'm going I'm to take the Rays. I just – this Cincinnati team, I, it's up and coming, but I think we're a year or two away from actually like getting to the top of that mountain and planting that flag. Um, I think that's when the, the magic will run out. The Rays are a little more consistent, especially throughout the entirety of the season – I'll take the Rays in that matchup. Um, and I'm also hoping I can reverse jinx us into winning it in real life. So, Rays-Reds would be the least-watched World Series probably in history. <laughs> I'll one-up you. No, Rays, Padres, Padres are at least they're, – they're a national <laughs> – The Padres at least yeah. have hyped players. Yeah, I mean, they're my, my brother and you, Wyatt, might be the only two people to watch that World Series. <laughs> I think I think the only thing People that would be watch less watched would be if the Marlins Rays played in the World Series. I think that's the only thing that would be less. Dude, watched. the state of Florida would actually enjoy baseball for once. That'd be that'd be weird. <laughs> See, here's the thing, the though: the state of Florida still down. wouldn't watch it. Dude, you got a lot of retirement <laughs> homes that would stay up past six o'clock to watch that matchup. A lot of retirement homes that are all Yankees fans. <laughs> that is actually really true. <laughs> that's very true. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's what we've got for you. Two Dodgers picks and one Rays pick. So that's what we've got for the World Series. And for all of you, this has been really long. I know postseason will be will be hopefully shorter next week. We're just breaking down the matchups um, of what happened. But thanks to you for tuning in and staying this long if you have. Um, any parting shots before we go? We'll, we'll forego the triple play because it's been so long. But any quick thoughts if you guys have any? Or you can just say bye. I do have a quick thought. I, the Cubs-Marlins matchup is also very interesting because the Marlins, of course, had their COVID outbreak earlier this year that almost ended the sport. Meanwhile, the Cubs are the only team in the MLB without a single player testing positive. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, look at that. What a so, matchup so, right there. So does that help them or not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's up to your interpretation. Yeah, because by, by, I think, you know, COVID reasoning, they're, they're getting swept. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no parting words for me. Um, I'm excited, man. This is, it's great timing, too. I mean, this is, this is fantastic. I mean, sports are in full flex right now. I mean, you got the NBA Finals. You got college football getting into full gear. NFL's going on, and then you got the baseball playoffs, which normally would kind of fall to the wayside, but I think just because it's so different this year, baseball is really going to gain a lot of attention, I think, during the next month or so. It's going to be extremely entertaining. Yeah. Nothing's better than uh, postseason October baseball, and we're getting even more of it this year. Um, so I'm super excited to see how this playoff shake up, to see how this new playoff format works as well. I know it's a weird COVID season, but... I'm really excited. There's a lot of great matchups, a lot of great baseball. One thing of note, too, until the World Series, 
no off days except for between series. So you play three straight, day off, five straight, day off, seven straight, World Series. Um, so that's going to be an interesting factor as well. We didn't touch on that too. But regardless, I'm excited for all the weirdness and fun that's going to happen. And uh, Josh, Bradley, as always, thanks for being amazing co-host and coming on the show and making this thing happen. And all of you amazing listeners, thank you for being amazing and listening. We'll see you next week with playoff baseball to talk about. So until then, enjoy said playoff baseball, and we'll see you next time.